Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey everybody, I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the PBSC podcast. I'm Steve Moore. This is Mark Castleman here with me today. We're uh, happy to be with you. Happy, uh, we usually release on Tuesdays, right? So happy yep. Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Uh, it's good to be with all of you today. We've got uh, this week, we got a couple of really good letters uh, from clients um, uh, that we wanted to address kind of in tandem, uh, even though they involve some, th- some differences. And, and obviously, we don't know, the, as always, we don't know the full situation behind each of these. Um, uh, there are some common factors, so I'll just read those real quick, and that'll kind of kick us off into our topic today. Uh, hi, Mark and Steve. So here's number one. Hi, Mark and Steve. I just want to thank you so much for the many hours of information and insight into, into sex addiction you've given my husband and I. We both enjoy and get much from you both weekly. We appreciate it, Danielle. Uh, my husband is working so hard in his recovery. He is fully committed, but I'm having trouble with the unwavering control and manipulation from him. I know they stem from insecurities, but I'm finding that the hardest part to weather, finding that to be the hardest part to weather during the storm. And I fear it might be our demise. From discussions in my women's group, this seems to be a common issue. Can you please shed some wisdom on this topic? Thanks for your time, Danielle. And now I'm going to read the second letter as well, and, and we'll kind of talk about these again. They're a little different, but they do carry some important similar, similarities for today's topic. Uh, thanks for getting, oh, this is, uh, so this is a response. Our D-Day was five months ago, so still relatively fresh. I am still quite guarded and not having, and am having trouble opening myself back up to my husband fully. I do not yet feel safe. I feel like he twists things back around on me by saying things like the kids and I are ready to be a family again. When you are, we're waiting on you. Uh, some cringe there. Or my group says you're withholding emotions and love to manipulate me. Additionally, he makes requests that I find controlling and reflective of previous behaviors. While the specifics of the request seem harmless, I find the structure of the request controlling and a gateway back to his very controlling nature. 
so there we go, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> both, first of all, to both our listeners who wrote in, thank you so much for sending these in. We always love hearing from you. And you are, we always encourage listeners, please send us topics at pvsepodcast.com. There's a contact form on there. We would love to address these as part of a podcast on any given week. Uh, but we are addressing both of these together today because obviously, even though these are different situations, there are a lot of similar things going on, specifically like this concept of control, right? And 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 manipulation in the uh, in the addiction. For for most of our listeners, and for many of you who maybe are listening for the first time, this probably won't come as a huge shock. Addicts tend to be very controlling in their nature, in the way they handle themselves, in the way they carry themselves. And there are a couple of important reasons uh, why that is. And it goes back to kind of the nature of, of most of us who struggle with addict addiction or other shame-based compulsive type behaviors. Um, for the first, so I'll just kind of talk about some of these trends and then let's, let's jump into how do we solve this? How do we break out of this? You know, addicts simply put, we, they tend to shift blame and accountability to others a lot. We do that for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Mark and I used to do it in our addictions, and we see that commonly with clients, uh, is this concept of, you know, we, we all get really adept, I think, at dodging accountability for our addiction or even just keeping it out of the limelight in general. And oftentimes, part of the reason why this happens is because, you know, we are trying it in, at almost any cost in many cases to keep the focus off of us talking about our addiction, the bad things we've done, the ways we're hurting ourselves in our relationship, et cetera, et cetera, are all extremely painful to look at. And as we know, addicts, you know, they tend to live really from a place of emotional escape and pain avoidance. And, and so, you know, seeking out and focusing control on another partner or on the partner uh, can be a common uh, ways, a way to meet that end. I mean, I used to do this for what it's worth with my wife all the time. Uh, it's very common, Mark. I know you've had the similar experience where I, you know, I, I would, I was constantly using anger at different things. My wife, the guy on the road, person who just cut me off, a crappy professor, right in school, whatever it is, as a way to be targets of frustration and anger. Because as long as I could stay frustrated at other people, I didn't have to look at me. Right. It was a really convenient, you know, kind of set aside for that. And, and, and so I know we do that commonly. I'm, I'm curious for your perspective on it. Well, and if we, you know, if we step back and ask ourselves, so why does, why do we do this as addicts? And for me, there was, there was a couple of primary reasons. One is I don't want you shining the big bright spotlight on me and my behaviors and my addiction because I had shame and it hurt. It hurt for, for all this attend, you know, this attention to be paid to me about all these things that I was involved with that I that I knew were destructive and I knew I was keeping secrets and in all of these things. And so it was, you know, defend, deflect, minimize, rationalize, you know, get the light off of me. Because my tender, fragile ego uh, had couldn't couldn't deal with it. It's one of the reasons mm-hmm. why I was an addict in the first place. I wasn't yeah. good. At, you know, authenticity, transparency, showing up, you know, speaking, my, just saying, here I am without any pretense or masks or facades. Here I am, world, all of me right here. What? I didn't, I didn't do that well never at did all. that. <laughs> and the other side of why we do that as addicts is maybe something that we have an equally or maybe even harder time uh, admitting. And that is 
a big part of me didn't want to give up my favorite place of self-soothing and self-medication and pleasure. Yeah. And if suddenly you're shining this big old bright spotlight on me about all these issues, that means I might actually have to give them up. Yeah. Boy, did I have a part of me that rebelled against that. So let's just engage in all of these tactics, control and manipulation and deflection. Cause I, I don't know what I, how I would cope with life if I, if I don't have this. Yeah. 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 No, we, we addicts, we really tend to, I mean, we're highly, highly codependent, right? Mm -hmm. There's no, no secret about that. We talk about that oftentimes on here. And for those who maybe have not heard that term before, right? That's, you know, essentially I'm using other people or things, right? As a way it's, they be, those things become kind of my emotional barometer for lack of a better term, right? When things are stable and going well, or at least under a perception of what I, I feel like are going well, right? Things are working. There's, there's, you know, stability there. Then I can feel stable. Yes. I feel grounded, right? I yes. feel like I'm enough or, 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 or whatnot. And, but by the same token, when things start to, you know, get out of sync, uh, then I tend to struggle, which is one of the many reasons why we addicts, we live on such emotion, high emotional roller coasters. We're constantly trying, we're investing emotional energy or trying to find stability or take stability from things, people, and situations which are inherently not what? Not stable, right? <laughs> people have good days and bad days, right? Partners have days where they're really war solid in their recovery and days where they're really struggling with betrayal trauma. Um, bosses praise us one day and fire us the next, right? I mean, the list just goes on and on. And it's one of the many reasons why we, we are so frequently unhappy as addicts is because we're constantly trying to, again, invest in these unstable resources or sources for, you know, keeping ourselves in a good place. And, and, and so there, there, there are a couple of things that need to be done to, to shift this, right? And for mm -hmm. you wives listening, for Danielle and for our other listener who wrote, who wrote in, uh, and this is applicable just as much for addicts with the spouse as it is for spouse with addicts. You know, rule number one is I just have to acknowledge the obvious in the room, right? Which is that I have no control. I barely have control over what I can do today, much less what my, what my other, what my significant other thinks or feels about me. Um, you know, one of these listeners wrote something that was interesting and obviously we're lacking detail on this, but they mentioned that, uh, you know, my, my partner is fully invested in recovery, but then he is, you know, he's, he's fully committed and totally into it, but then he is struggling, uh, to let go of control of X, Y, and Z things. And he's calling out all these different behaviors and asking these things of me and he's doing it in a toxic way. Right. To me, those two, again, we don't have all the information, but to a degree, those are mutually not compatible. Um, if, if he's, for example, is attending any sort of a 12 step group and is, working a program in any 12-step fellowship at all, rule number one is what? It's, it's, it's two things. One, it's recognizing that powerlessness, not just over my own past actions, but over the actions of others. But it also is, is what? It's fo the focus is immediately placed, placed on my side of the street, right? Is what, is what we call it in 12-step. Um, what am I doing or not doing? right? As a part of this process, where's the responsibility and the accountability with me? Because at the end of the day, rule number one with recovery, like rule number one is recovery individually. And as a coupleship begins and ends with me, because that's the only part of the, the situation that I can control, whether that's setting boundaries with my partner, whether that is, uh, choosing to support them, 
uh, or not support them, choosing to stay in the marriage or to leave. All of these things can only be determined by one person, and that is by me, right? How I'm going to internalize what my partner is telling me or not, um, et cetera, well, et cetera. We don't, and we don't have all the, we don't have hardly a sliver of the facts here, but sure. as I read what was written in, I can only, you know, if I were to pose a guess, based on you know all of our years of experience as counselors and in, in, in our own recovery, when she says that uh, this, the one husband says, the kids and I are ready to be a family again when you are, we're all waiting for you. <laughs> when I hear that, that is something I would have said. And the reason I would have said it was, I'm becoming impatient. You're not getting with it, right? Come on, yeah. come on, come on. Let's get this back on the road. Let's get back to normal. Let's get back to our lives. And that's somebody trying to hurry up the process and, again, yeah. pass off responsibility and accountability for my own recovery. And in addition, again, I don't know, I don't know what was really said in the group, in the 12-step in the group, I'm assuming. Who knows? But my group says, you're, you're withholding emotions and love to manipulate me. Again, I would have probably got a group to commiserate with me. And who knows what I would have told them for them to come up with that conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> but it would probably would have been me starting to really feel some resentment towards my wife for finally starting to hold boundaries for the first time in our marriage. Yeah. And I would have said, you're withholding, you know, emotional support and love. No, she's just holding boundaries because she's, take, she's taking care of herself and her healing. And I yeah. don't like it. Yeah. Well, and, and to be fair, right. I, I, again, like you said, we don't know all the facts behind this. We don't. Could, th could there be some element of truth that, that may, maybe, maybe you as a wife are, are, are needing to make changes or shifts, right. To, to reunify. Maybe there are things that you're holding back on. That is definitely possible, but of all the people who can safely call one's spouse out on that, a guy new in recovery where trust is new and limited, probably isn't the best source for that. And it should never come at the cost of still looking at his side of things, right? right? If a guy is really in solid recovery, there may be an element of, hey, we're waiting for you, coupled with, I am working on X, Y, and Z things, and I'm doing my very best. Here's what I'm doing to try and work on those things. Is there anything else that I can be doing on my side that you can see? Right. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be that element added on to that. Now, maybe he's putting that into the discussion. Maybe he isn't. Um, but that's, but yeah, there's definitely a, there's a selectivity to what's being said there. Right. And it also is an unfair, unfair implication because uh, me just saying, you know, I'm, I mean, with a statement like that, right. We're just waiting for you to come along. What's the what's, what's being implied? Hey, we're there. We're good. You know, you're the one holding this train up. Yeah, which uh, we're already fixed. We're already we're already we've already arrived. What's your problem? I mean, that doesn't sound like addicts, Mark. We never, we never just think no, that we're. I never, I never would have said anything like that. We're we're just good to go. Addicts no. never feel like, hey, I've been sober a month, so I'm we're like we're good, right? I never would have tried to <laughs> shortcut the process, speed it up, work around. Some That's of right. The requirements. Nope, I never did any of those things. And we totally get it, guys. If that is, in fact, the case that's going on, we know that everybody in this process wants to move along as quickly as possible, right? Of Nobody course. wants to drag this out unnecessarily, but there are still things that need to be hit. And if a guy is in solid recovery from where Mark and I are sitting, in our not-so-humble opinion, there's going to be any time, if I'm going to throw that kind of language out with, with a partner, 
one, that's really shaky ground. But two, if I am going to do that, it should always never come at the cost or be selectively done without also owning my side, coupled with a vulnerable inquiry of, look, how can I better be stepping up to the plate as well? Mm -hmm. Right. What else can I be doing? Right. Thoughts, feedback from my partner, you know, like help me understand how I can better support you in this process. Right. It, it, I mean, again, we don't know anything about the, about the language of this. And I'm speaking as a guy who used to do this, but it does, you know, statements like that are very frustrating to me and probably a little bit triggering because it is, I mean, in 99% of these cases, again, not knowing the specifics, who, who puts you there? right? Your partner, the actions of the addict are what precluded a lot of the issues that are probably being faced here. And to me, there's just kind of a common decency around while I recognize the fact that I can't control or make my partner's recovery happen as an addict, I damn well can and ought to be supporting them in it and be open to thoughts and ideas and, and definitely be patient with the process as well. Yeah. So, right. You know, and, this, and so the question comes, you know, I can't, I can't control my partner's perceptions. Sure. I can't control, I can't control the speed at which my partner will, will heal. Right. These things take what they take. Yep. And we as addicts would contend very easily to step back into the position of control, right. To push things Absolutely. along, to move things into the, into the space we want them to be. Um, you know, that's the reason we got involved in addiction in the first place was this concept of taking control. Mm-hmm. My life is stressed. My, you know, things are falling apart. I, I, I'm afraid. I'm bored. I'm lonely. I'm, str- I'm whatever. And I know the solution to that. Mm, I'm going yeah. to take control of this and solve it. Yeah. And then I jump into my addiction. So the addiction is very controlling by its nature, and it's so easy to have that then spill over into recovery and how that works. And we got to be really careful as addicts in recovery. You got to step back and ask yourself all the time: Okay, am I am I going back into control? Am I going back into control? Absolutely. Right? We get back to step one. How often do you get back to step one? In yep. fact, I had to go back to step one. I don't know how many times over the years. I think Absolutely. I was doing so great. And then I'm starting to control and manipulate and push things the way I want them to be and what I want them to look like and the outcomes I need to have. And I'd have, and someone would call it to my attention, Mark, uh, you've left the place <laughs> of powerlessness. You think you have the power again. Yeah. Taking control again. Yeah. And of course, I would kick against that and you know, say, what are you talking about? Be like, oh, wow. Yeah, sure. I'm doing it again. Absolutely. Guys, for those those guys who are listening, any guy in solid recovery, we don't do ultimatums a whole ton on here, but I'm going to give one right now. Any guy who's in solid recovery who's going to ask those kinds of questions of his spouse better be asking himself the question first of what am I lacking, right? Um, selectively coming at a spouse uh, and just saying, hey, get on board. We're all just waiting for you. There's simply no place in this process for that. Um, you can call that a lot of things. It ain't recovery, at least not. It, it's a very selective version of it. Um, we all, the reality is, is we as addicts, we bear, and I know we don't like to be reminded of this, but we bear the responsibility of getting our marriage in this crap hole that it finds itself. Are there other issues that were probably at play? Sure. Every situation is different. Each marriage is complex, right? We're, we're making some generalizations here, but I, I think that for the vast majority of us, we can all agree if we're honest, that we are the ones who led out and caused or instigated a lot of these issues. Would that not behoove us 
to have some patience with our partners and also a deliberateness in our own recovery and making sure that if we are going to ask questions like that of a spouse, that we are doing everything in our power to be working on our own recovery and to be setting the stage and actively inquiring of our spouse in a vulnerable way, what else can I do? You know, are there things that I am doing or not doing that are holding this process back for you? Mm. Right. I can't own your recovery, but I can and need to support you in it. Yeah. If that isn't, if that isn't happening, that is a problem. So, uh, so that's yeah. our, yeah, that's our invitation and assignment, you know, take, yes. take a really, uh, some time to really ponder and get as self introspective and self analyzing as you can see yeah. where you're at on this. You know, if you tended to let your addict brain come back into the place of some control and some manipulation, and you need to step back and then go to this place of going to a, a partner spouse and saying, what more can I do? Yeah. How can I help and support you? What do you need from me? Right? What think, are you seeing? Yeah. I think the extension to add on to that too is for those couples who are able to do that, kind of the bonus homework, if you will, if you're in a place to do that, is sit down and really each of you kind of make that individual list of, you know, what are the things that A, I'm doing in recovery? What things do I need to still be doing in recovery? And then maybe sitting down and sharing that with each other, right? What are we doing well? But where else could we be taking ownership? Because we're all vulnerable to this, right? This is not just a Steve or Mark coming down on the attic strictly. Because it's human nature, right? We all, without even realizing it, oftentimes we'll sometimes back away from accountability. It's hard. We're all pain avoidant to some degree. Nobody's favorite thing is is to sit down and just just look at myself and just say, geez, where's all the crap in my life? Um, we, We all struggle with that. But the struggle with that can't be used as an excuse to dodge it. Um, because that, you know, if, if we're selectively not doing that, not only will we help be held back in the progress, we're probably going to regress in, in ways that are, well, myriad. We'll get into another day. Yeah. Um, anyway, as always, guys, we, we, uh, we expand on these topics uh, in, our, uh, in our new uh, couples program, Dare to Connect. Uh, we invite you to take a look at that at daretoconnectnow.com. If you like what you hear on the podcast for the 15 or 20 minutes that we do our podcast for, um, you will love Dare to Connect. It's, it's uh, what do we got? Oh, it's over six hours a month of, of content that we tailor specifically to the listeners who are subscribed to it. We'd love to have you join us. We talk about all things in recover, all things recovery related and are able to take things really to a deeper level that, that we simply can't do on this podcast. So we hope you'll come join us. It comes with a two-week free trial. Um, I would just unabashedly say it is the program you need. It was, it's the program that Mark and I needed. And uh, that's what we do our very best to bring to you. So we hope you'll give it a chance. Come take a look. Take your recovery to the next level and let's really get you guys uh, to, to the place that you want to be. Anyway, have a great week, guys, and uh, we will talk to you next. Okay, see you next Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.